sermon number 680, Fruits of the Spirit, the last in the series, Self-Control, preached on Palm Sunday, April 7, 1974. text is taken from the book of Ephesians, the third chapter, the 16th verse, that according to the riches of his glory he may gr grant you to be strength with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Today is Palm Sunday, and of course this year it falls on the first Sunday of April, 1974. Palm Sunday is very significant in the Christian's calendar, and likewise the first Sunday in April is very special to the members of the First Presbyterian Church of Baderstown. I know probably many of you have forgotten, but according to the stories that have been told me, it was exactly 15 years ago today that people assembled in this beautiful, simple, quiet, and magnificent sanctuary to worship God. Fifteen years have passed since this sanctuary was dedicated to the glory of God. As I understand it, on that day, my predecessor, Jim Little, under whose guidance this building became a reality, this man to whom so much of us owe so much of ourselves, he stood in, I believe, this very pulpit, and leaning forward, he said, Well, what do you think? And there was quite a buzz, I understand, amongst the prayers present that day, who had worked so hard, who had given so sacrificially that what once was a dream by our forefathers back in 1871 became a reality in 1959. I just could not help but wondering as we sang that last hymn, how many present this morning were here 15 years ago today? If you were, would you just please stand wherever you are seated, please? That's a great sight, isn't it? One of the great things that makes great Bakerstown Church, the great church that it is, is that not only do we have those who have been a part of her for so many years, but some of us who have given to her so much during our time have received a great blessing from the same God as we join in our worship our praise and our study together. It's not planned. I'm going to throw Phil for a loop, but Phil, get back to the console bench there. We're all going to stand and sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Please rise with me.
It's a great day in the kingdom. Thank you. Please turn with me now in the Bibles, which you can find in the pews, in the back to page 178, Ephesians, the 3rd chapter, beginning at the 7th verse. By this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence of access through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him by the power at work within us, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We all suffer from and share a common disease, a disease which each one of us must fight as long as life breathes within us, a disease which Sherwood Anderson calls the disease of self. The disease of self. You have it. I have it. All of God's children have it. We all know, don't we, what a horse or an automobile or an airplane or a ship or a fire that is out of control can do and how dangerous those things are. But believe me, they are nothing. Nothing can be as dangerous as a human being out of control. Yet each one of us loses control from time to time. We're not very proud of it. Each time that we do it, we say that we'll never do it again. Yet we suffer from that disease. It's not easy to be able to control oneself. 
As a matter of fact, there has only been one individual who has ever lived that was able to have complete mastery over self. Only one person who never allowed his appetites, his desires, or his instincts to serve as the senior partner, partner and to be master over self-control. That person, of course, is Jesus. He's the only person who has ever lived that was able every moment of every day of his entire life to master control over himself. No place do we see this better than in the New Testament when we read historically about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On that day which is called Palm Sunday, and those days which follow and which we now commemorate as Holy Week, and which we will be celebrating and worship in during this coming week. We remember Jesus as he came over the hilltop and down through the Kidron Valley and ascended the hill through the gates of the great city of Jerusalem. The people shouted their hosannas, palm branches were cast before the horse of the donkey upon which he rode. And the people shouted, and Jesus was riding on the way of popularity. He could have done anything in that city of Jerusalem that day if he had wanted, but he didn't. He knew the wisdom of the proverb that a man who controlleth his spirit is greater than he that taketh a city. And he controlled his emotions and never allowed his popularity, his instincts, his desire to rule over the rest of his being. Now he's quite a man, this Jesus, quite a man. And he came to tell us and to show us how life is to be lived by all mankind. And he says it's possible. But before any of us can follow him or become like him, we must first deny self. We must learn how to control ourselves. And Paul says that we can do this. We cannot do it in our own strength, but by the might of the strength of the Holy Spirit working in the inner man, says Paul, the inner man that is in every man, you and in me, we can learn self-control. This inner man, this is a phrase which the Greek knew and used, and which is not too familiar to many of us. The Greek felt that there was something innermost and important in the life of every individual, and it was that inner self that was in the secret to many of the mysteries of life and the source of the power for the individual. Following this term from Greek thought, Paul said that the inner man really consists of three things. First is reason. And he borrowed the idea from the Greek that an individual if he is ever to be self-controlled, 
must have a reason, an intellect, a common sense that can direct control. You know, this idea was quite popular with Plato, and he very vividly revealed the soul and likened it unto a, a chariot that is drawn by two horses, one good horse and one bad horse. <coughs> and also on this chariot was a charioteer whom he named Reason. And it was the job of the charioteer to control the reins of the two horses, the idea being that there would never be any unification, never any headway, never any progress, until that good horse, which stood for our spiritual beings, and that bad horse, which stood for our sensualness, unless those two were brought under control by the charioteer reason. Words to the Greek, self-control found its source in the mind, the intellect. Now, Paul could buy that to a certain extent. Remember, he was no dummy. He had a fine mind. He had probably one of the finest minds in the Middle East. But Paul was an individual who knew that even though he had the intellectual ability, even though a person may have an IQ that is very, very high, that does not necessarily mean that he is automatically a self-controlled individual. Paul must have known some of the people the like of which you and I know, you know, some of those very intelligent people who seem to lack the most in the area of self-control. Paul, you see, was, was having great difficulties but he had a great mind in trying to decide what was good and what was evil. He believed, as do you and I, that the mind, yes, can be a great source of strength and can help us to be controlled by ourselves, but the mind needs help to know what is good from that which is evil. Paul had people living in his day, just as you and I do today who disagree, you see, on what is good and what is evil. It's very interesting to me that a, a recent motion picture built upon a book that was really not popular until the picture came to the screens has excited amongst our sophisticated society a tremendous discussion between the powers of good and the powers of evil. Who's right? The exorcist? Or the power of evil in sinful, selfish man? Who's right? Who's wrong? What is good? What is evil? It was important in his particular day, some of the things that he thought were good like the appetites and the instincts of the body, which are not evil as some of us may think. 
the body is very good, it's created by God. These instincts and these drives, they're not bad. They're good when they're used the way they are supposed to be. They're good when they are used as intended, but when they are misused or abused, they have the power to become evil. Yet how many children are taught that their bodies and their sexual drives are bad and evil? That's not biblical. And Paul knew it. Yet the Greek was teaching that the flesh is horrible and, and that the body is in a tomb and that they would have to live for the day when their spirits could be released from such an evil corpse. And Paul couldn't believe that. And what he thought was good, other people called evil. And likewise, what he thought was evil, like discrimination and segregation, and they had it in those days when the Greek and the Jews thought that no one was quite as good as people from their own nations. He thought such a thing was evil, and yet other people called it good. Who was going to settle this particular question in his mind as to what is good and what is evil? Paul knew it had to come from the only one who knew the difference between good and evil and who had the right to say that this is good or this is evil, God himself. And it was Paul's contention that by the power of the Holy Spirit, any man, any woman, any young person, if in reading the scriptures and under the guidance of that Holy Spirit, he will know in his mind what is good and what is evil. He will be able to know the length, the width, the height, and the depth of all the things which God would have us to know. But if we wait upon the Holy Spirit, God will reveal unto his children, those who ask him for what is good, and to indicate what is evil. So Paul prayed for those people in Ephesus. He prayed that they could receive the thing that I pray each one of us will receive. And that is the mental ability to comprehend what God calls good and what he classifies as evil, so that without a question in our mind, we may know in our mind what God calls good and what God calls evil. The Holy Spirit, you see, can strengthen in his might the mind, the reason that is within you. The second part of the inner man is conscience. Conscience. And it was Paul's prayer that the Christians at Ephesus would be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that their conscience could be sensitive to God's leading and speaking and teaching. You see, this conscience, psychologists are telling us it can do tricky things. This particular something that is in each one of us and which is described as that still, small voice that tells us inwardly what is right and what is wrong. 
We believe it comes from God, but oh, how it can be conditioned by the environment and by parents and teachers and preachers who who have an impact upon minds and consciences that are in the formative stages. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because, you see, some of you have been raised, according to what the sociologist today calls the 19th century Puritan Protestant ethic, and all they're having a heyday with that in the classrooms of the colleges and universities throughout America. Personally, I'm getting a little tired hearing about it, but so much of what is happening in the world today are blamed by the social scientists upon that Protestant Puritan ethic in which many of you have been raised. You know what it can do to the conscience. Some of you still get a pang of conscience when you miss worship on Sunday. But when you do something on Sunday which your parents taught you was wrong, some of you still get that pang of conscience when you take that drink of alcoholic beverage. You still get that pang of conscience when you tell a lie or you do something that is wrong. Many people are so in revolt against this conscience that they feel they have been given, which they somehow cannot seem to throw off and it bugs them. They blame that conscience for their hang-ups, for their inferiorities, for all of the problems that they face, and they wish for freedom, they say. And what has happened in America today in part has come, I think, from those who are really, really angry at the conscience that has been given unto them. So much so that I think some have vowed that their children and those whom they helped to raise and those whom they helped to mold, that they will not have that kind of conscience. So those who were raised in a 19th century Puritan Protestant ethic have helped to develop what history will show as the 20th century permissive generation. Don't worry about the conscience. There are no absolutes. Do your own thing. <laughs> Don't worry about right or wrong. And we have developed a society to which politicians, preachers, and parents try to appeal to the conscience, and there's no response. No response whatsoever. And no wonder what's wrong. <laughs> I'd be the first to admit that some of those Puritan forefathers who tried to teach and who molded society and and affected our conscience, yes, that some of them were misguided in their sincerity, and some of them taught as being right, not what was right according to the teachings of God as found especially in the New Testament, but simply what they wanted their own beings to see reproduced in the world. 
Some of them were wrong, and that's hard for me to say, because some of their teachings were not according to the Word of God. But let me hasten to add, neither are the ethics of so much of the permissive generation. They're not biblical either. And though I long not for the old days, and though I get rather sick at the permissiveness that is allowed today, I'm not calling for more of that either. But I think what we need, each one of us, is a good old-fashioned bath in the Holy Spirit and to be sunshined again, basking in the power of his Holy Spirit who can speak to conscience. And we need people, people today whose conscience are guided only by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And you know, I may be wrong. But because people cannot get rid of their conscience, and God still knows what is right and what is wrong, some of our young people, led by the Holy Spirit of God, I think in this decade of the 70s, will begin to teach some of us that God still speaks to the conscience. I'm talking not about those young people that we read so much about, but the majority of them who seem to feel the consciousness of God in their own conscience. Any man can be strengthened by the Holy Spirit speaking to the conscience, but the inner man is comprised just not of mind and conscience, but also of will. Will. You see, it's not just enough to know the difference between good and evil, to have a conscience that understands what is right from that which is wrong. You have to have the will to do it. And you see, this was Paul's problem. He said, the good I know, the right I know, but God help me, it's the evil and the wrong that I do. It's God's power by the Holy Spirit that gives us a will not just to talk about, not just to know in our minds or to feel in our conscience what is good and what is right, but which enables us to do the good and the right. A few weeks ago I was invited, as I have for many years, to the annual birthday party of the local chapter of Alcoholics Anonymous, because I was present. The local chapter's first meeting, more than ten years ago, they have been kind and invite me each year to the annual celebration. I wish I could take all of our 1,500 people to one of those meetings to feel the power of God present in the life of people who depend upon God's Spirit for real power to go through one day. There is something when, as a few weeks ago, more than 250 of us were present at dinner, and the leader stands, as he does at every meeting, and introduces himself only by his first name and his last initial. And then he says, I am an alcoholic. And then he led the people in the prayer of serenity. You see, an alcoholic in a way, believes that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, the only thing that can happen is that the desire can be arrested. 
but he can stay sober only one day at a time. And he lives one day at a time asking God to give him the strength to live only for one day at a time. And every day, every day he prays that prayer of serenity. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And he goes through one day at a time finding self-control as a gift from God. That's the way all lives are to be lived. And thank God we have his spirit which can enable our minds, our conscience, and our wills to be self-controlled. And that brings to completion this series on the fruits of the spirit. And I'd like to leave this story with you, which I've told before. It's about the man who, taking on this passage of scripture, which is found in Galatians, fell asleep. And he dreamed. And in his dream, he went to heaven. And there he found a sword. And he, in his frustration, ran in. And behind the counter, he found an angel. And he said, oh, angel, please help me. I need the fruits of the spirit instead of hate. And and misery and jealousy, please give me the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control.